Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. And uh, as has been mentioned, it is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, if we could maybe have the slides up, please, Mike. And we're going to be looking at uh, Pentecost, that first Pentecost uh, nearly 2,000 years ago, when God poured out his Holy Spirit upon the first disciples, and the church had its birthday. Now, uh, we've been having lots of celebrations this morning, and you guys have really missed a trick, because um, when Claire asked who's had a birthday in June, really, you should have all come up, because it is happy birthday to all of you today. It is the church's birthday, but don't worry, I've got it covered. Because I've got some celebration chocolates for you all. But you're going to have to wait for the gift till later on. But those of you who want to, uh, to have a celebration, um, uh, please do uh, afterwards. Uh, I couldn't get a big tub, but maybe there's something significant about getting three tubs as we're going to be uh, looking at the Trinity uh, today. That wasn't meant to be a groan. That was. That's meant to be a praise the Lord. You know, Pentecost Sunday, I think it's fair to say, doesn't quite get the, the kind of same attention as other major feasts. Would you uh, agree with that? Christmas, there's a big run up to Christmas. Easter, we celebrate Easter week and uh, all that goes on there, and we, we give presents and so on at both of those. But Pentecost kind of is. Oh, it's Pentecost Sunday. And do you know what? I think we've got the balance completely wrong. Because Pentecost is so important in the whole of God's plan for his church, for us, that really it ought to be one of the culminations of everything that we celebrate. So I'm going to take a bit of time today to really dig into, well, what is Pentecost all about? What happened? Um, and why is it so important for us? Um, as Christians, as church. And I'm going to uh, take three readings. Um, they are quite long. I make no excuse for that because I think it's really important that we understand uh, the background to Pentecost. We understand what Jesus said, what he promised, and then what happened to the disciples. So there are um, three readings. And if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And uh, the first chunk is uh, verses 4 to 11. And uh, here we read, uh, um, and the, the story starts uh, with one of Jesus' uh, appearances to his disciples. Uh, he's meeting with them, eating with them. And it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, 
He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then we're going to um, flip over to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with a Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Jesus stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Peter went on to address the crowd and, uh, and really help them understand what was being uh, uh, said, what the whole meaning behind Pentecost was. And we'll pick the story up again in verse 7. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and uh, thank you for uh, this account of Pentecost when you poured your Holy Spirit out. Lord, would you help us now to understand what you're trying to say to us through this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. In his prayers, Jonathan mentioned about uh, us waiting for the return of Jesus, that promised return. And I wonder, how good are you at waiting? How patient are you? Are you quite happy to sit back and wait for things to come, or are you kind of eager to get on with things? During a recent trip that a number of us went on in Gambia, um, we uh, were confronted with this challenge. The whole trip was wonderfully planned by Phil Savage. He's a great organizer. He gets uh, absolutely everything sorted out. But when we got there, we found out that the the ways of Gambia aren't quite the same as uh, the ways that we like to experience. So, for example, when uh, somebody says that the bus is going to arrive in in 20 minutes, you know that it's more like an hour and 20 minutes or even two hours. If somebody says, yes, we just set off with the breakfast supplies for you, that basically means they're just starting to prepare the supplies and they haven't uh, set off at all. It's not wrong, it's just different, it's just the the way of life and uh, um, it's different to perhaps what we're used to. And I think when we returned to uh, the UK, it really rammed it home to me just how used we are to having things in order. We like to have our Amazon deliveries, don't we? Uh, With uh, Prime Delivery next day, we like to know exactly when things are going to arrive. Um, We have our smartphones telling us exactly where the traffic jams are on on the road so that we can plan our trips and avoid those. Um, We can track our friends. We know exactly where they are and when they're going to return for for tea. Um, We've kind of got into this uh, um, lifestyle of wanting things immediately, not being really um, prepared to wait around. But here we see Jesus instructing his disciples to wait. It must have been um, quite a, a, a roller coaster ride for, for those disciples. Just think about those um, kind of uh, few weeks running up to the time of Pentecost. You know, they'd gone from um, seeing Jesus being welcomed into Jerusalem. And they're all wondering, wow, what's going to happen when Jesus kind of uh, introduces his kingdom? They're all wondering what's going on here. And then a week later, they're massively brought down to earth as Jesus, their Lord, is crucified. They don't know what to do. Some of them run away in kind of panic. They're kind of uh, um, taking matters into their own hands. And then on the third day, they hear that Jesus has risen again. So they've gone from kind of despondency to to now hope. And then um, they spend a few more weeks meeting with Jesus from time to time. And then Jesus is taken up to heaven. (laughs) They've lost him again. And they're told just to wait. They have no idea how long. (laughs) They have no idea what that wait is going to look like. They're told to just wait. I wonder how we feel about just waiting for God. And we see that nine days after, they've spent those kind of nine days after Jesus has been uh, ascended into heaven, meeting together 
and praying together, no doubt reflecting on what Jesus had instructed them, what he'd told them to do, remain in Jerusalem and wait for the gift. They were told to be in a place, but just wait. And then all of a sudden, that promised Holy Spirit came in a really dramatic fashion. It changed everything. So what I'd like us to do is take a look at the events of Acts chapter 2 that we've read in the context of God's bigger picture. Why was it that they were told to wait in a certain place um, and until uh, the Spirit was provided? And I want to look at three things to help you remember them. They all begin with P, God's plan, his purpose, and his process. And how without the Holy Spirit, without those events of Pentecost, really God's bigger picture plan doesn't make sense. Now in thinking about why Pentecost perhaps isn't, doesn't get the same uh, attention as the other feasts, whoops, what happened there? don't know what happened, suddenly, uh, there we go, wow. Um, I wondered uh, whether or not it's due to the fact that the concept of the Holy Spirit actually is quite difficult to get our heads around. We can kind of understand God the Father and God the Son. That kind of makes sense to us. But who is this Holy Spirit? Um, how does he fit uh, into all of this? And certainly in our small group, we've wrestled with this on a number of occasions. How do you describe who the Holy Spirit is and what his uh, role is? And I think the best kind of description that I can, uh, um, that helps me anyway, that I can get my head around, is that, you know, I am one person, but I am the son of my parents. I am the father to my children. And I am husband to my wife. They are different roles, they're different relationships, but I am still one person. And so it is with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, with me as being both a son to my parents and being a, a, a parent to, a, to my children, actually we share something, we share a bit of DNA. Um, I've inherited uh, physical characteristics and probably behavioral characteristics from my parents and I think I've probably passed uh, some of those on not just through uh, uh, genetics um, to my children and in a wonderful way with my wife when we were married when we made promises before God you know the Bible describes a man and woman becoming one in God so we're um, kind of linked together and in the same way God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one but they're quite different and God's plan and God's purpose doesn't kind of work um, without those three things all being together. And it's really important to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person. Got a list up there, you know. He, he thinks and uh, he speaks. He can be grieved. We see all these things from Scripture. I think also it's important to remember that the Holy Spirit was not an invention at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has always been part of the Trinity. He was there. If you look right back to creation and Genesis, it talks about the Spirit hovering over the surface of the waters. He was there with God the, the Father, God the Son at creation. 
throughout the Old Testament, he put in appearances, he um, gave strength and abilities to particular people for particular uh, occasions. So picture of Samson there, he was filled with the Spirit. People like Gideon, people like Joshua are described as being um, uh, filled with the Spirit, equipped by the Spirit. The Spirit spoke through prophets. They were given words uh, to pass on. At Jesus' baptism, the Spirit appeared um, uh, descending upon him like a dove. The Spirit was always there. It was not, he was not an invention um, just at, uh, at Pentecost. And I think if we look back, it's really clear that he is uh, a, a key part of God's plan. So I'm going to break this down into uh, um, God's plan, God's purpose, and God's process. So first of all, as we look at God's plan, how can we see the um, role of the Holy Spirit? So first of all, prophecy. God told of his coming before uh, time. You know, that, uh, the prophet Joel that Peter um, quoted from, um, Joel lived about 500 years before Jesus. So all that time in advance, God had this plan that he was going to give this outpouring uh, upon his people. And, uh, as I mentioned uh, also, that he spoke through other prophets. John the Baptist foretold his coming. He prophesied that whilst Jesus would baptize with water, there would be one that would come after who would baptize with uh, the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus told his disciples, as we know, to wait for that gift. So it was embedded in God's plan um, from that point of view. Timing is quite interesting. Um, Claire mentioned that Pentecost, the word Pentecost, comes because it means it comes from the root of 50. 50 days um, you know, after um, that, that, uh, uh, the Easter time, effectively. And uh, it's um, actually aligned with what's called uh, the Jewish Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks is actually seven weeks um, after the Passover that was associated with the time of Easter. Now, I don't know about you, but the the number seven, wherever it appears in the Bible, I take notice of that because seven is quite an important number. It's the number of completion. Um, So when I see seven lots of seven (laughs) leading up to Pentecost, I go, wow, you know, God's saying something really important here. This is a real completion um, of uh, um, you know, a part of the phase of his plan. And the Feast of Weeks was one of those feasts where Jewish men were expected to go to Jerusalem, um, to be there, to worship. So it was no accident that at exactly at this time, Jerusalem was buzzing with all kinds of uh, people from all over and we've heard um, from that reading that there were um, men from all over the the various districts so I don't think it's any accident at all that God intended the outpouring of his Holy Spirit at exactly the time when there would be witnesses there to hear exactly what was going on and then thirdly in terms of God's plan I really um, kind of got um, quite sensitive I guess to over um, the last few years to noticing how God uses patterns and symbolism 
throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. There's that old adage that the um, New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and in the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. And I think where we see kind of patterns and pictures, we should uh, look into that and see how God is explaining some of his planning. So look at baptism, right? We've got John the Baptist and Jesus baptizing with water. The Holy Spirit um, baptizes um, with, with fire. The, the, there was a, a tongues of fire thing um, going on in that first Pentecost. I don't know if you've noticed that the, the presence of God in the Old Testament as the um, Israelites were coming out of Egypt, what was, they, what was that marked by? A pillar of cloud, water, and a pillar of fire. There's this water and fire examples going on. Moses met God at a burning bush. There, were, there was fire on the bush, but the bush was not consumed. When the Spirit was poured out, it was like tongues of fire appearing on the disciples. They didn't burn up, but it was the mark of God's presence. The Spirit also came with a mighty wind. Look all the way back to Genesis when God created um, Adam. He breathed his Spirit into him. He gave life. And when um, the Spirit came as a mighty wind at Pentecost, there was life breathed in. Um, to, uh, to those disciples. And there's more signs and symbolism. If you go all the way back um, to uh, you know, what happened uh, um, in, uh, um, in Exodus, when the Israelites disobeyed God as straight after the Ten Commandments were given, and they made, if you remember, that golden calf, uh, I don't know if you remember what happened to the Israelites, but Moses, at God's command, instructed the, uh, um, the Levites to go around killing those people who had uh, um, built the calf. And uh, if you look in Exodus 19, um, the Levites did as Moses commanded, and it says, and that day about 3,000 people died. And I don't know if you recall in the reading from Acts, when the Spirit came, about 3,000 were saved. There's a lovely kind of symbolism there that when the law is given and exposes people's sin, people die. When the Spirit is given, he brings life and people are saved. And again, if you look back, the Tower of Babel, God confused people's language in the Old Testament. And when the Spirit came... He allowed people to understand. You know, no matter what language they had, they could understand. The Spirit was bringing back order to things. And you know what? This should be a huge encouragement to us. Because as we look around us in the world, I don't think anybody would argue that the world is in disarray. It's in need of uh, uh, sorting out and control. It's really comforting to know that God has a plan and God is working to that plan. He is seeking to bring um, order. Okay, so secondly, God's purpose. And I wonder, um, you know, if you were asked, what is God's purpose for us and the world, what would you say? Jonathan gave a hint actually early on, and I was quite pleased that he kind of said that. And I guess you can look at it from different uh, uh, angles, but 
Now, for me, a lot of what God is doing, I believe, is a work of restoration and reconciliation. He's looking to restore that which was and that which has been broken as a result of sin. And ultimately, there will be a complete restoration because we know that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. But we're in this kind of waiting time at the minute, aren't we, where that restoration is a bit of an ongoing work. And we know that part of that restoration has come as a result of Jesus coming to pay the price. The law was given to expose our sin. Jesus has paid the price for that sin. He's, if you like, um, kind of reconciled that relationship to us with God. But also, part of that reconciliation is um, creating order back in our lives, but also giving us a task to do. Right? If we're restoring what was um, uh, previously in uh, the Garden of Eden, what, was, uh, what were Adam and Eve instructed to do by God? Be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. What does the Spirit allow us to do? To bear fruit. That's a very clear instruction. To go and make disciples of all nations is the promise that uh, was, was given. So God's uh, purpose is a gradual work of restoration. He exposes the need. He pays the price through Jesus. He restores that relationship, restores order, and then empowers us to be fruitful, to be his agents on this earth. And you know, this should be a point of reflection for us. Whilst God's control and his plan should be an encouragement, we need to reflect on how are we living within God's purpose? How fruitful are we being? Where are we on the journey of our personal restoration? Are we bearing fruit individually? Are we bearing fruit as a church? And then finally, God's process. And I want to look at uh, three things. God's authority, God's power, and the partnership that he wants to work with us. So first of all, authority. Authority is quite different from power. And if we look at uh, Matthew 28, the great commission that Jesus gave um, to his disciples, he said, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus passed his authority onto us. And I looked this up deliberately. Um, authority is defined in some terms as the legitimacy that a person or group is granted to carry out certain actions. It's the legitimacy that a person or group is granted to carry out certain actions. Jesus has given us the legitimacy to do his work. But you know, legitimacy is no good unless we've got the power. Definition of power looked up. It's the capacity of a person to carry out certain actions. And that reading from Acts that we had, Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And just look at the difference that there was with Peter. Peter, who was previously 
just a few weeks before denying even knowing Jesus, now empowered by the Holy Spirit speaking out for him. A good analogy, I think, is um, a great experience I had yesterday. My wife uh, bought me a present to go to Silverstone Racetrack and drive in a uh, a Formula single-seater race car. And when I got there, I had to show my driving license. That's all I had to do. Show my driving license, and that's, that's fine, sir. Come along through. I didn't have to do anything else. No other tests. The driving license was all the authority that I needed. But the driving license on its own wasn't enough to go out and have the experience. I could have got in our own Vauxhall Astra and driven round the track, and it wouldn't have been uh, uh, particularly great. But... I was able to sit in this single-seat Formula um, uh, um, Silverson car, and boy, the power that these things have. Unbelievable. You put your foot down, and 0 to 60 in less than four seconds. You can brake just on a dime. You can turn, and it's just phenomenal, the power that you feel in being behind one of those. And it's a bit like, in a very different way, but the difference in the power when we try and do things on our own strength for God and when we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the commission that we've got is huge. To go and make disciples of all nations. How on earth are we going to do that? But with God's Spirit, it's possible. So I ask us again, how good are we at waiting? Do we wait for God's power, God's timing... God's equipping and enabling us to do, do things, or we, do we just try and rush on and do things in our own strength? How much of a partnership are we um, working on with God? He calls us to work in partnership with him. Jesus promised that he's going to be with us till the end of the age, till he comes again. We're in this waiting period. We don't know when Jesus is going to return, but we've got this, uh, this job to do uh, before he does return. So I wonder, do we capture a glimpse of God's plan? Do we understand what he's doing? Does he under, do we understand his purpose behind that? The fact that he wants to reconcile all people to him? And do we understand that we're part of that process, working in partnership with the Holy Spirit? I want to finish with a prayer um, that was written by Charles Spurgeon that I think... Uh, is a great prayer for us as a church. Let's pray. O God, send us your Holy Spirit. Give us both the breath, spiritual life, and the fire of unquenchable zeal. You are our God. Answer us by fire, we pray. Answer us both by wind and fire. And then we shall see you are God indeed. The kingdom comes not and the work is flagging. Oh, that you would send the wind and fire. You will do this when we're all of one accord, all believing, all expecting, all prepared by prayer. Lord, bring us to this waiting state. God, send us a season of glorious disorder over a sweep of the wind that will set the seas in motion and make our ironclad church, laying so quietly at anger, to roll from stem to stern. Oh, for the fire to fall again, 
a fire which shall affect the most stolid. Oh, that such fire might first sit upon the disciples and then fall on all around. Oh God, you're ready to do a work with us today, even as, even as you did then. Stay not, we plead with you, but work at once. Break down every barrier that hinders the incoming of your might. Give us now both hearts of flame and tongues of fire to preach your reconciling work. For Jesus' sake, amen.